Well, it's Wednesday night, and um, I want to say good evening to those of you that are out here tonight. Seems like we can um, call ourselves the little flock. Um, someone said one time, a small crowd. I don't know how you can describe that, a small crowd. Um, little flock, remnant. Anyways, if you're here in church, I'm glad you're here. And if you're following us online, I'd like to welcome you also. And tonight we would avoid singing. We'll go straight on into the service and I'll talk to you for a little bit uh, before I send everyone home. Um, tonight I would like this to, I'd like you to join me in prayer as we start this service. Everyone, please join me. Heavenly Father, tonight we give you thanks for the privilege you've given to us that we can call you our Father. We thank you, Lord, for you ignoring our rebelliousness and our lack of commitment and lack of dedication and still allow us to enjoy some of the benefits of good services, of edifying uh, words that we can hear from uh, the ministry, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Tonight we ask that you'll touch the hearts of those that are present in this sanctuary and bless them. Touch their minds, touch their hearts, touch their spirits. And we pray for those following us online, every one of our assemblies, whether it's North America or overseas. We pray that you'll be with us and touch our minds, touch our hearts, O oh God. In these days of darkness, and seems like every day is getting darker, Lord, may your light shine bright in our hearts. Encourage our spirits, Father, we pray. Touch our minds. Again, we ask for those that are not well, that you'll reach out and touch your people, those overseas, that you'll be with them. Lord, those that are locally here and locally here in Mississauga, that you'll uh, those following us online, that you'll inspire their hearts also. Pray for those in Rochester, Lord, our saints in Rochester, every family, every individual present in that city. Father, we pray that you're, that's a part of the church. We pray that you'll inspire their hearts also. Overall, we ask you to bless tonight and bless this upcoming weekend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Recently, and um, I say recently this past week, I posted, um, I did a post on Facebook that I'll probably like to address maybe on Sunday. And uh, Sister Chandri was asking me earlier, uh, the title of the post addresses golden calves, brazen serpents, number one, golden calves, Number two, brazen serpents. Number three, Philistine carts. And number four, the message I think we preached, we had on, on Sunday, strange fire. Uh, these I would like to address a little bit more on the weekend if the Lord helps us. Uh, to the, all of these items that I listed, uh, they go back to the nation of Israel. And uh, you and I know that the Bible 
basically most of what's written in the Bible was written for the Israelites, for the Jews. And we use the Old Testament as much as we can uh, to give us a kind of type. For example, Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, as Scripture says. It's a type. Uh, when John the Baptist saw him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus was not a sheep. He was symbolic to the types in the Old Testament. And for us recently, we've been addressing uh, subjects that are very, very touchy when it comes to the fellowship, when it comes to other ministers listening to it. Because, you know, in, in the, I was telling Sister Chandri this also, in Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, he talks about charity, and I'll be talking a little bit more about these here tonight, but in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, Paul speaks about charity. And he said here in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity. Now, seeing I'm touching the concept here in the very first verse, on speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a terminology used by Pentecostals and those of us that claim to be a part of the body of Christ, we use this terminology, speaking in tongues, when someone gets filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, uh, terminologies we have used. Um, very strange but true the only record we have of the day of Pentecost was written by a man who was not a Jew. Uh, he was a Gentile, half, I think might have been half a Jew, but uh, Luke the physician wrote the Acts of the Apostles and he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And in the Acts of the Apostles, in chapter 2 of the Acts of the Apostles, he describes what we call the day of Pentecost. Now, if you don't know much about what Pentecost is, uh, Pentecost and churches are actually called Pentecostal churches because they believe that someone can receive the Spirit of God right in their lives. And this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were all together, and we've touched this many, many times, and they were praying because Jesus told them to go and tarry and wait for the Spirit of God to fill them. And so there were about 120 uh, disciples of Jesus. Uh, tragically, uh, he had fed thousands of individuals. One time 3,000 was added uh, later on to the church. But one time he fed, um, I think it might have been, uh, four or five thousand people with fish and bread. Thousands of people followed him. But when it boiled down to the bottom line and people had to go pray and wait for the Spirit of God to descend on the day of Pentecost, only approximately 120 were gathered together in what the Bible called the upper room. And the scripture tells us while they were praying, uh, the Spirit, 
there came a mighty rushing wind. Uh, they were in this building and they were praying and suddenly they felt like there was a wind circling in the room, a strong breeze circling the room. And uh, suddenly there appeared over each one that was there a cloven tongue like a, like a, like a, something like a fire, a flame over each one of their heads. And they all started to speak in different languages. Uh, they were all Galileans, but they were starting to speak in different languages. And this is what the second chapter of Acts tells us. And they were speaking and they got excited and it was spread around. People that were in the neighborhood heard them speaking in tongues. And so the words got spread around. And uh, in those days, they didn't have television. They did not have the internet. They did not have a lot of distractions. And uh, they had nothing to do but to hear what the neighbor says. And people talk to each other. These days, uh, you go into an elevator and everybody is in, their face is in a phone. Um, you sit in church and people, their face is in a phone. It's a different age. I'm not picking on anybody's phone because I got two phones recording this lesson here tonight. And we've got a, a little iPad up in front uh, that's uh, streaming the message. And so in those days, they had to meet each other. If I wanted, if Peter wanted to see uh, John, he couldn't telephone him and say, hey, can I come over? No, he had to start walking. They didn't have bicycles. They didn't have motor cars. Uh, they had donkeys. If you can be, if you're richer, you own a donkey. Um, it's not a Lexus, it's a donkey. Uh, if you get a zebra, you can say I have a sports model donkey. Uh, but, but they were there, all normal people in those days. And so it was noised abroad. I don't think it meant they were making a lot of noise, but it was told to the neighborhood. And before you know it, thousands of people gathered around the upper room and uh, they were hearing these men speaking. And I guess the commotion left the upper room and went out into the street. I am imagining that. And uh, they were speaking different languages. And people that were from different parts of the, of the world at that time, in that neighborhood, they heard them speak in their own language. And so it was phenomenal. And I made mention over this past weekend that uh, the only uh, real person that uh, speaks a foreign language here tonight is Brother Gregory. Um, he speaks um, Russian. And uh, if, he, if suddenly I start to speak Russian, he'll know if it's a fake. I listen to him ever so often. We're listening to a program or watching a, a show of some sort and somebody's trying to mimic Russian. And Gregory would say, ah, oh, that's a fake Russian. That's not genuine Russian. Well, he's a Russian. He knows. That day, everyone that was gathered there heard the disciples speaking in their language. And um, I would think that was supernatural. Um, I also had experience where uh, in my early days, we were in a youth camp before I got married, before we got married. 
I went to a youth camp in the interior of Guyana, a place called, um, I think it was called Hararuni or Kurukuru, uh, back in the, in the jungles. And we went in there and I had a group of young men with me from the part of the country I came from. And Chandri was from a different part of the country. They had, we had maybe about three or 400 young people in that youth camp. Uh, the girls had a big tent that they all stayed in and the guys had their own tent. And rebellious me did not want to stay in a tent. I'm so glad it didn't rain. I had a hammock set up between uh, two trees and I had a bunch of guys by me. I didn't feel like I needed to stay in a tent. And that night, and a missionary was there. I think his name was Johnson. And uh, there was a commotion in the women's tent. And the commotion was a woman, a local native lady. She seemed to be possessed with devils. And so she had demons possessing her. And Brother Johnson, this big missionary, he went to cast the demon out. And so he went. And um, we were boys, we were listening. We didn't want to go into the, the girls' camp. And so Johnson was there and he worked and worked and worked and he couldn't get the demons out. And the demons subsided and they got a quiet for a moment. And then he went to his uh, quarters. And then in the wee hours of the morning, we hear this woman start screaming again. And so I told my friends, I had a few brothers with me, young men that were a part of what I was doing. Uh, we were 19, 20 in that age bracket, uh, 19 and 20. And so we went, we says, let's go cast the devil out. Why am I telling you all of that? I'm telling you that because I have a part of this account that I want to let you know. And back there in Guyana, you either have the power of God to cast the devil out or the devil cause you to run for your life. And so we said, okay, let's go cast the devil out. So I went on in, make a long story short. Uh, we asked if we can go on into the girls' uh, camp. And they said, yes, because this woman was disturbing everybody. And I went and I got on my knees next to this lady because the moment we started to pray with her, she fell on the ground. And she closed her eyes. And I remember kneeling down by her. I was daring. I was like a young man that was daring. If I see something in the street at night that looks like a ghost, I'll go find out what it is. That's me. And so I went up, I got on my knees. Chandri was there in that tent. And I asked, I tell, told the lady, I said, sit up. And she sat up and she closed her eyes. She was just local native lady from that community. And I said, now I want you to look into my eyes eyes. Open your eyes and look into mine. And she did. And when she looked into my eyes, she would not stare at me. I said, now tell me what your name is. And I could never forget what she said, even though I was only 20, 19 or 20 years old. With a strong, I think it might have been Irish or Scottish accent. She says, my name is Merlin Anita Cumberlake. No, you're ordinary lady living in a village. No, this was a strong accent. So whatever possessed this woman spoke to me. And this woman started to speak, and I could guess it might have been Chinese. 
And then I guess it might have been Spanish. And she started to speak in different languages. And we were there working with her. And we got, I think we cast some demons out of her, but she was loaded. And this demon that possessed her that came from overseas and followed this woman and possessed her in a fish market. Uh, this demon spoke in all kinds of languages. I'm saying that because I would like to tell you the devil also speaks in tongues. That's my, that's my, my point in bringing the story up. Because I've seen a lot of things in life. I've gone through hell and seen a lot of things manifest in life. I've seen uh, next to Brother Sinbad where he lived. There was a woman um, one morning, we're getting set, we're packing our suitcases because we're in 1975, we're trying to make a trip to the United States. And I'm, I'm up early in the morning at my desk. Uh, Brother Sinbad was living next door. I don't know if you were in my house at that time. I don't, maybe you were living with me. Yes, and um, uh, this little girl came across and she says, Uncle Desmond, Mom said, if you can come across that, my sister has a problem. Her sister's name was Shant, Shanti. And so I said, okay, let me go see. And I'm walking up, walk across the street, went up. As I'm going up the step, I'm hearing a voice coming out uh, from that living room. They had Shanti on a bed in the living room, and a voice was coming out from the living room. I did not even appear at the door yet. I don't want him to come. Why are you all sending for him? I don't want him to come. And I came up and I saw Shanti. I did, could not even recognize her. She was like skin and bones because she got sick and her parents took her to a witchcraft person that made her worse. And this girl had teeth marks on her back. Somebody says, well, she bit herself. No, you couldn't bite your back. Uh, you got to be really good. And when we started, we fasted and prayed. And when we started to pray with that girl, uh, she would somersault in the bed, flip over, and the whole room would smell like fish. And as we cast one demon out, and we couldn't get them all out, so we relocated her uh, to someone else's house. And eventually, after a few days, as a matter of fact, maybe about a week, uh, we were able to... Uh, we had a little church in a place called Fort Morant, and we, uh, we went there that Friday morning, and we started to pray with Shanti, and then finally Shanti came to her senses. For one week, she was not in her right senses. And when she came to her senses, and the demons, the spirits left her, she sat down and she looked at me, and you can see she is absolutely in shock. She says, Uncle Desmond, what am I doing here? Why is everyone circling me? And it's amazing because I'm telling you this because I'm not a novice. I've been around for a long time. I've had the devil uh, run from me and there were times when I had to just back away and not be ready for that. All kinds of experiences. I'm saying all of that to say that in today's world, we have individuals that would like to introduce the day of Pentecost back in their own local church. Now, if you don't have the Spirit of God genuinely moving in your midst, 
and demons get into that church, demons speak in tongues. The Holy Ghost, genuine baptism, speaks in tongues and speaks in languages. And if somebody is saying five words, repeating it over and over and over again, and I've seen this also happen over the years, what I'm saying is that when someone is filled with the Holy Ghost, the evidence of speaking in tongues is for a sign to those that are there. If no one is there that speaks a different language, then that person being filled with the Holy Spirit does not need to speak a different language because there's no one to impress. But tonight, if someone gets filled with the Holy Ghost and start to speak in Russian, Brother Gregory can tell us that's genuine. That's genuine. And I've had cases where I see people get filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in an African dialect. I'm not sure which one of the African dialect, but a missionary from Africa was there. And he says, do you know what that lady is speaking in? And I'm not sure if it was Swahili or some other African dialect, but she was able to tell us, uh, he was able to tell us exactly what she was speaking in. So what happened 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost was the baptism of the Holy Ghost, where 120. Now, this is the strange thing about it all, the phenomenal thing about it. Everyone that was gathered in the upper room, all received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There was no spectator. They all got filled, and they all spoke in tongues. I'm sure they spoke in Greek, and they spoke in Aramaic, and they spoke in, in Hebrew, and they spoke in different uh, languages, but they all spoke, and it was phenomenal. I pray to God that one day, it would be a wonderful thing if the Spirit of God falls in our sanctuary and we see people, every one of us, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Now here's the strange thing about it all. Even though we have Peter and John and Andrew and, and, and Bartholomew and Philip and all these disciples of Jesus, none of them ever wrote anything about the day of Pentecost except Paul's reference here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And Paul is not talking about the day of Pentecost. He's talking about speaking in tongues. And, and uh, it is strange that only Luke carries that record. And, you know, because Brother Singh is saying it, it's not important to some people. Because I never went to Bible school. You see, I never went to seminar. Um, I never went to... Uh, to some institution to get a degree in theology. If I had a degree in theology, I would flush it. Because Paul did. Paul says the things that were gained to me, he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, a great teacher of the Jews. And when he accepted Christ in his life and became a Christian, Paul says the things that were gained to me, I counted but dung that I might win Christ. This is so beautiful because Paul was a remarkable Pharisee. And uh, when we think about the, the concept here, it is strange that only Luke ever wrote about the day of Pentecost. And here I am 
I would like to have maybe two or three witnesses to support a story. Because I read my Bible, and sometimes I read something that contradicts something else, and uh, preachers don't like me see things like this, but I'm telling you what the facts are. Uh, when I was reading, uh, one gospel said when Jesus went, and he found this man among the tombs in Gadara, um, there was one man among the tombs. Another gospel said there was two. Um, when you read a seeming report of an incident and it contradicts somebody else's report, uh, do you condemn the whole Bible because of that? No, because if I tell Brother John something tonight and I said, pass it on to Sister Dorcas, and I said, Sister Dorcas, you pass that information on to Sister Cindy. By the time it reaches the India at the back, it changes. It would not be exactly the same. Now, when the New Testament was written, the Gospels were written years after Jesus was already gone. They didn't have tape recorder. They had scribes, maybe writing things down. But if I'm talking here, and no matter how fast you are a writer, how much can you write of what I'm saying? Now, much more, five or six or seven years after I'm gone, then you're trying to remember what I said. And so, beyond all of this, we need God to help us. And so, the first reference we can read about tongues is what Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And Paul is saying here, he says, Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, and I don't have charity, charity is the love of God shed abroad in your heart. It's genuine love. Um, Brother Terry has gone to somewhere else right now, but he would tell you that, you know, love comes from three Greek words. I didn't study Greek. I'm just telling you what I've heard and I read between the pages. And he would say, one is, y'all tell me? Agape. Second, filio. Third, eros. Now, it says, I heard another preacher say it comes from five words. But tonight, we'll just deal with three. I sing Brother Terry is at the back. The first one, is a Greek word called agape. Right, Brother Terry? And it, it's the genuine love of God. If you have agape, you're not lusting. You might be a little, but, but um, <laughs> you have the love of God. It's pure, it's undefiled. It's, it's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Filio is a friendly love. It's a... I love you like a friend, you know. I, it's, not, it's not basically God's love, it's a friendly love. And then eros is that other aspect of love, the love you love your partner, the person that you're attracted to, uh, that's where it goes. We are thinking here that Paul is speaking of people in church that speak in tongues. And by the time Paul started to write to the church at Corinth, the experience they had on the day of Pentecost had dwindled down 
to a lot of emotionalism and a lot of um, noise and counterfeit speaking in tongues. By the time Paul was writing, they thought Paul was not filled with the Holy Ghost. And so Paul, in writing this epistle to the church at Corinth, chapter 12, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And if you back up with me here to chapter 12, a little bit uh, here, um, in chapter 12, he talks about uh, the gifts of the Spirit. Now, uh, the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, has gifts, and there are nine gifts of the Spirit. Am I losing you, Raiden? Okay, still following me, right? It has nine gifts of the Spirit. Now listen to the gifts before we go back to 1 Corinthians 13. He says in verse 8, For to one is given by by the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, the word of wisdom. There is a gift that the Holy Spirit can give you called the word of wisdom. Uh, Opposite to that might be stupidity, I'm not sure. But if you get the gift of wisdom, you will know what to do in a situation. It goes on here, the next one is to another the word of knowledge. Uh, This person has fantastic knowledge of scripture and other things in life. Uh, So you can have the word of wisdom, gift of wisdom, you can have the gift of knowledge. And knowledge is good, uh, but knowledge can puff you up. Uh, You can get so big, you know so much, you got so much degrees that it blows your mind. The third is called the gift of faith. Now, if you have, this is what Jesus said. He says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, if you have faith, Just like a mustard seed, very small like that, you can move a mountain. Today we talk faith like a mountain, but we can't even move a mustard seed. One of the things you might find that I do is I'm very practical. If you come up for prayer and I'm the one praying for you, I want you to know up front Out of every hundred people that I pray for, maybe four get healed. That's not a good repetition, is it? Uh, Well, the doctors might do worse than that. They might kill some of those. But I'd like to still pray for you. And God might not heal you right away, but God might start a healing in your life. Because I've seen miracles happen also. And so when you come for me to pray for you, I would say, you know, Father... I'm praying for Brother X tonight. And he's got this migraine headache killing him. Lord, please deliver him from this headache. I remember one day um, I got up and I felt dizzy. I got up from my bed and I felt dizzy. And I felt like the whole room is turning around. And when I went, found out from my doctor, he says, you got vertigo. Anybody ever heard about vertigo? It causes your head to swing. And so if you like me, like to climb ladders and all that stuff, you don't want vertigo. And so after a couple of weeks, I got up and this vertigo upset me so much. I said, vertigo in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. 
And guess what? This is like five or six years ago. Vertigo never come back. And so then I have other problems. And I said, Lord, just like how I rebuke vertigo, I'm going to rebuke this pain in my knee. It's still there. It didn't go. Not everything goes, but vertigo went. Vertigo must have been something demonic that was staying there. And so when we think about the, the gifts of God, the gift of faith, you would, you would, you would, it would be amazing what the gift of faith can do if you have it. Now, talking about the gifts and really having it is two different things altogether. Number four, it says, and to another gifts, there's a plural here, gifts of healing. That is, you can pray for someone with diabetes and they get healed. You can pray for someone that has lumbago or some other serious disease and God can deliver them. I remember right here in this church, we prayed for a young lady that had cancer of inner uterus. Uh, they, a baseball, a baseball, or golf ball size, I'm not sure which one they said, was a golf ball size of tumor in her womb. And we prayed for her right here in this church. Those of you that were here at that time, Brother John, you were there uh, when we prayed for, for um, Anne-Marie. Um, and we prayed for her, and God touched that girl, and when she went back, she felt, felt a whole lot better. When she went back to the doctor, they x-rayed and could not find the, the lump in her uterus. And so the next thing she did, when she got married, she got pregnant to prove the point, and then left the church. Miracles don't save anybody. Jesus healed sometimes an entire village. And still, when he was ready, the Romans wanted, the Jews and the Romans wanted him dead. The people joined the crowd and says, crucify him. Today, someone might stand with you and tomorrow they turn against you. And so we do what we can do to the best of our ability and God must do the rest. And so they went on here and let's look a further on. It says, gifts, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Another, the working of miracles. These are all gifts of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is in a church, genuinely, the gifts are manifested. I can ask a question. How much of the Holy Spirit we have in this church based on the gifts Can anybody in this congregation tell me? Make a guess. Can anyone tell me? How much of the Holy Spirit we have got in this church based on the gifts I'm reading to you? Thank you, Sister Chandri. She said not much. We have the Spirit of God. I can't say zero. We have the Spirit of God. But we have the grace of God allowing His Spirit to be in our lives, to change lives. But we need a day when the Holy Spirit can come and start giving us genuine gifts. So when someone tells me that the Spirit of God is really moving in a meeting and no healings are happening, no word of wisdom is given, no gift of faith is manifested, no gifts of healing is manifested, no miracles are manifested, then I question how much really you have the Holy Ghost moving in that meeting. If you're 
conclusion as the Holy Ghost moving in a meeting is based on the noise they make. Well, the Holy Ghost must be really moving in world, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, world Cup. Um, what's the recent sport they had? Super Bowl. When all those people gather together and they make a lot of noise. You mean the Holy Spirit is moving in a stadium because of noise? Let's move on. It says, prophecy to another prophecy. A person can get up and he can really preach anointed messages and tell you about the future some. And then another, discerning of spirits. And some of this, in my life, I've experienced it because um, there was a time I could walk through a middle of a sanctuary and if someone is possessed with evil spirits, I could feel that presence. Uh, there was another youth camp we went to, Sister Chandry, uh, before we got married, right? In Belvedere. Was it after we got married or before we got married? After we got married. And um, uh, we rented a school in, in not far from where we live. This is not in the interior. And we were having uh, everyone in that, in that school. And when you have a little prayer meeting and everybody's praying. Hundreds of kids, hundreds of young people in the school, everyone is praying. And I walked through uh, the, the, the middle uh, between some of the benches and I feel this strong presence of evil on this particular sister. And um, I passed and I went down and I came back and I felt the same strong presence of evil on this woman, a young lady, not, not a woman. And so I stopped and put my hands on her head just to test the waters. And did she ever jump up? She jumped up. And she, you can see her face, countenance change. And she challenged me. She says, what are you doing that? And I call a few of the brothers and said, let's cast this devil out. And when the spirit left her, it went to her friend. A short young girl, her name, I think the short one was Sheila. And it went over to Sheila. So we left this one, went to Sheila, and the spirit left Sheila and went to the third friend. There were three friends. It was a time of reckoning. And so uh, it, was, it was experience. These are all experiences. When someone said evil spirits are not real, knock it, suit yourself. I need to take you to Guyana one time and let you find out what is real and what's not real. And he goes on here and tells us diverse kinds of tongues. Now here is something, when you get the gifts of the Spirit, uh, not only you discern spirits, but you have diverse kinds of tongues. When you have the gift of diverse kinds of tongues, one man can speak in Brother Gregory's language, and then God touch him again, and he speak in Brother Thomas's language. What language you speak, Brother Thomas? Ganja? Say that, I can't hear you. I'm deaf. Yanja? Oh, that's a language by itself. I mean, don't even say the word. But, but can you speak um, Swahili? You understand Swahili? Sister Gladys does. But you know, you have diverse kinds of tongues. It means I can go to Haiti and I don't need an interpreter. I can go to 
Mexico and I don't need an interpreter. Unfortunately, when I go to Haiti, I need an interpreter, one true interpreter, because you can have fake interpreters. Um, so I've always make sure I take somebody from North America to go with me, Brother Sam Phil. He's the best Haitian interpreter, and he would go with me to Haiti. And when I'm preaching, I said, well, I'm glad to be here. And then he says, I'm glad to be here in, in, in the local language, the Creole Haitian language. Uh, but when you have diverse kinds of tongues, it's a supernatural power of God. Do we have that? No. Not really. You know, when I'm thinking what we have and what we don't have, we don't have a lot of the gifts that's in the Bible. And Paul went on, he says, and to another now, interpretation of those tongues. Now, if we have those two gifts operating in the same service, Brother, Brother John can be touched by God and he starts to speak in Spanish because he has diverse kinds of tongues. And Sister Cindy gets up with interpretation of tongues and explain what he just said. But I've been to meetings where I have somebody say, Simataya, 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 Simataya. And then they start to interpret. They speak two inches of tongues and they interpret. The interpretation is one mile. Now these things, when I stand there, I cannot say, well, you know, God is really here. I got to say, whatever is here, I'm not sure what it is. And that's me. I get into trouble for saying things like that. And it might come a time that we might stop streaming because I say so many things upsetting so many people. And people want answers. And Paul is saying all of these. These are just the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is something else. But then Paul comes here and he says, you can get all of that in chapter 13, verse 1. He says, though you speak with the tongue of men, and you can even speak angelic language, if you don't have charity, you're zilch. You are, I'm become a sounding brass and like a tinkling cymbal. You know when they have, you know, brother, brother, Raiden, I pick on you all the time. When they have jandi or something, they got these things they beat. Paul says, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you might as well beat something. Or blow the horn without melody. Your sounding brass or tinkling cymbal, some bell. If you have the Holy Ghost without charity or the fruit of the Spirit, then you're wasting time. All the power that we talk about if you don't have a change in your life and you can love the unlovable, then something is wrong with you. I ask God every day to help me to love the unlovable. And so as we talk about charity here, he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and I have all knowledge, and though I have all faith, you got gifts here, Paul is talking about, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity. I just moved Mount, Mount uh, uh, Everest. Somebody says, you got a lot of power, brother. If I don't have charity, it means that the gifts did not do anything for my spirit. 
Isn't this a beautiful scripture? You have all the miracles, all the signs. You're a big talker. You can preach wonders. You have all prophecy. And if you don't have charity that causes you to love people that nobody else loves, something is wrong with you. He says you are absolutely nothing. I put absolutely in, but the same thing. He says, verse 3, now you're a good person. And though I bestow all my goods... I sell my house and I'm giving it to charity to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned as a sacrifice unto God and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. I'm talking about importance of charity here tonight. May God help us to have charity. Let's find out a little bit more. What is charity? Charity suffereth long. It is has this quality of God, it's long-suffering. How long are we going to suffer and bear up with people that has problems in their lives? I told you, if you plan to change, and you can't change overnight, and you say, Brother Singh, well, I need a few years. Guess what? As long as I'm around, I'll be there for you. Take your time and hurry up. I will wait for you to change in your own time. Moses took 40 years in the wilderness before God could use him. Paul took 35 years before Paul could say, I'm now ready to be offered. David, uh, he was a young man still when he started to reign, I think about 30 years old, but he spent maybe five to 10 years in Cave Adullam hiding out where God was preparing him. God takes time to prepare individuals. The Israelites took 40 years going through the wilderness before God could qualify a few to enter into the promised land. So if you have, you need some time, I got the patience. And I pray that God would help me and you to be long-suffering. When we have the love of God, we have the fruit of the Spirit, which is more important than the gifts of the Spirit. See, the fruit of the Spirit is a whole different thing than the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit makes you feel like you got the power of God. Wouldn't that be something? If you have the gifts of the Spirit working in your life, you walk out there like a mighty man of God. If you have the gifts and you don't have the fruit, you'll walk out like a mighty man of God. But if you have the gifts of the Spirit and you have the fruit of the Spirit or charity, you'll be humble and you'll be like Jesus. You'll have the spirit of meekness, tenderness, long-suffering, and patience. Hold your finger in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 13 and go right over with me. Uh, after 1 Corinthians, you've got uh, Galatians, right? Uh, Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, and I'm reading the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, charity, is manifested in these different qualities. Uh, Paul makes a statement here. He says, verse 22 in chapter 5, he said, The fruit of the Spirit is love. Agape. See, I'm using Greek. No, I don't need Greek to tell you what loving somebody genuinely is. He says, The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy of the Holy Ghost. You're not like a, some drab. There's always a smile on your face, even though you don't feel like smiling. 
It says you have peace. You're not confused. When you have the fruit of the Spirit, you have love, you have joy, you have peace. You're long-suffering. Charity suffers long. And it's gentle. It's, there's goodness. There's faith. There's meekness. And you don't go overboard on anything. You're temperate in all things. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So back here in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Paul says, Charity suffered long, verse 4, and is kind. Charity does not envy people. You're jealous over people. Well, this neighbor got something. I want to have it myself. No. If you can't afford it, that's all right. There's a lot of things I'd like to have that I can't afford. When I was younger, I liked toys. And that's not too long ago. That's like 20 years ago, I liked remote control cars. But then I liked remote control planes. I love these things. Of course, when they crash, your $400 is gone. But I used to love toys, and they said the difference with men and boys is the price they pay for their toys. I love toys. Not anymore. When I was younger, 20 years ago, I see you got a binoculars. I want one like that. See, you got something else, another gizmo. Can I have that? And as growing up as a young man, I mean as a young man, since my boyhood days, I had the best flashlight anyone could ever find. I'm a young man, 19, best flashlight. I had an umbrella. I was 19 and I walked around with an umbrella, the kind that you click a button and it's opening. Back there, it was like a miracle to people. I was a big, you know, like I got my own little fancy things I like. But as I get older, those are just passing craze. A fad, something that passes away. Now, I make sure, do I look like a preacher tonight with my nice black jacket? Hmm? Yes. 35 years old jacket. I keep my things forever. I have paint, a paintbrush, maybe one or two paintbrushes that I used to use in Guyana in before 1975. I love things. So there's some things, Nadine was gonna get me a, a copy, something says Desmond, Desmond's Garage Rules. Right, my garage rules that I have, want, I want to have a copy of that posted in my garage. I have rules in my garage, I don't lend my tools. I'm a Christian that is very stingy. When it comes to my electronic tools, don't borrow nothing. Because if it breaks, you've got to buy it back brand new. That's the principle. So the best thing to get good relationship, and I had a neighbor came across. He said, Desmond, can I borrow your lawnmower? I said, What's your, where's yours? He says, mine is in the box. I said, I don't lend my tools. What do you want to cut? And he looked at me. I said, if you want to be my friend and a good neighbor, don't borrow my tools, unless it's a sledgehammer. I said, I can lend you my ladder. Not the big one, but the smaller one. But don't borrow my tools. 
What do you want to cut? He said, the grass. I said, I'll come across and cut it for you, but I don't lend my lawnmower. Oh, lawnmower, but I don't lend. You understand what I'm saying? It has good relationship, but I want all of these things when I was growing up. When you get God touch your life, you don't have greed. Greed is gone. Time is running out on me. Uh, Paul is writing here. He says, it envy it not, it charity suffer long and is kind, charity envy it not, charity does not vaunt itself, it like walk like big shot and vaunt itself to other people, it doesn't do that, it's not puffed up, but I want you to look at my machine, no, I told a story and I was listening it today, uh, one day, um, I'm driving this Windstar, and I told JJ when he's driving me, he's younger, you know, this is, uh, this is about 10 years ago, mom, or 10 years ago, I'm driving the Windstar, and, and JJ, I pick him up from school, and he says, Grandpa, look at that car over there, and I'm, I'm there in the parking lot, I said, what is that? He says, Maserati, he says, my friend's dad has this Maserati. I said, well, you tell your friend that your grandpa has something called Singarati. <laughs> he says, what's a Singarati? I said, it's my car. Don't call it Windstar. It's Sing. My name is Sing. Singarati. And it was the name that went to Africa. Somebody heard it on the internet and it went around in Africa and said, Brother Singh has a car called Singarati. Guess what? I don't really care. I mean, you don't want a car to break down, but you, you want not to be puffed up. And that is why we need the genuine Holy Ghost. We don't need the genuine Holy Ghost to make us holler and dance. We need the Holy Ghost genuinely to make us live according to the principles of God's Word. It's the Spirit of Jesus. And so it's not puffed up. It says here, verse 5, it does not behave itself unseemly. It does not have a clique seeking her own. But I got my own clique in the church. But Thomas, I don't like you. But a sin, but I like you. You know, uh, no. Charity does not seek its own. Everybody got a fighting chance. And it goes on here, it says, it, it, and here is the part that is important. Now listen to this part in verse 6. It rejoices not in iniquity. Hold a minute and I'll put a little nugget here. If I go into a meeting and they have the flesh operating, and this is where we'll get back into talking about Philistines' carts, golden calves, uh, brazen serpents, and strange fire, any one of those elements existing in a fellowship or in a church or in a meeting brings a wrong spirit in there. And if I'm going in there and I feel what's happening is in that meeting is not what I feel is the Holy Ghost and I lift my hands, I'm rejoicing in iniquity. It puts me in a bind. It put Paul in a bind. When Paul went into Corinth, 
He could not follow everything they're doing. And it's, do you know what he said? They said he ain't got the spirit. He's work, walking in the flesh. The man that built the church and started it, they're ready now to turn around and condemn him because he's not being a monkey just like they are. And so it puts me in a bind because I have friends that love the noise. I have friends that love the dancing. Uh, friends that love the commotion and madness. And if I go there, I can't rejoice in iniquity. So I'm slowly eliminating what should be in fellowship with me by my preaching. And it's putting me in a lonesome bracket. But guess what helps me? Jesus was lonesome too. Paul was lonesome, Isaiah was lonesome, Jeremiah was lonesome, and so it's okay. I don't really like it to be lonesome. You're not going to forsake me, Jandri. No, you're my Valentine today. Today's Valentine's Day. Oh my gosh. Did you buy me a rose? I'm so glad you didn't. Um, so here we go. These things are important. And let's go quickly and finish this up. Rejoice it not in iniquity, but rejoice it in the truth. In reality, bear it all things, believe it all things, hope it all things, endure it all things. Charity never fails, but whether there be prophecies or preaching, it will fail. Whether there be tongues, uh, all kinds of tongues and commotion, they will probably cease. Whether there be knowledge, it can vanish away with old age. For now we know in part, because we're human beings, we're finite. But, and we prophesy in part, we only tell you, I can only tell you limitly what I feel as scripture says. But Paul says, but when that which is perfect is come, that is when the kingdom of God is established, and this mortal body puts on immortality, and this finite mind becomes infinite, this corruption puts on incorruption. Then that which is in part is done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's what I was telling you tonight. There was a time when I was very childish. And I put away those childish things. I still got a few that I find it hard to put away. And it says... Now we see through a glass darkly, but when the Lord changes our body and changes our mind, we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I'm known. He said, now there's three things here. I close the chapter, verse 13. He says, now abide in faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is the love of God, the fruit of the Spirit in your life. If you can have charity in your life and don't have anything else, you're a winner. May God help us that we can seek after God to have his genuine spirit in our lives. That we don't rejoice in iniquity, but we rejoice in the truth. May God help us. Pray with me tonight. Father, we thank you for this another night, Wednesday night in your house. We pray, Father, that these words will challenge our lives. Father, if there were, ever there was a time we need charity, 
your genuine Holy Spirit manifested in our lives, the Spirit of Jesus, the gentleness and meekness and temperance and long-suffering of our Lord in our lives. It is in these days, Father. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' wonderful name we ask it. Amen and amen.